I've recently gotten into baking bread again after about five or six or I don't even know how many years, but a, a few years. Is that just me or is COVID time? Like, I don't know what happened when. But before, in the before times, I baked, years before the before times, I baked bread. And I'd stopped baking bread for a while, and I've recently gotten back into it. I started actually baking bread. I got this recipe for a very easy loaf, like the easiest loaf of bread you'll ever make. Now, it does take a little time, and you do have to knead it, so it's not quite as easy as some other loaves. But I baked it the first time, and afterward, I tasted it, and I was like, it kind of tastes like that. It wasn't good. And it's like, I don't know how you could not make bread good because it's just yeast and flour and water and salt. Sorry, I'm going to start with the obvious salt analogy here because what I realized was that I forgot to put salt in the bread. And it was that obvious example of just how much two and a half teaspoons of salt over two loaves of bread makes a difference. Like a little salt goes a long way. So let's hold on to that analogy, because I think we can't read this passage and talk, or at least I can't, and hold that salt gives flavor. Salt is there. It is a particular kind of flavor that rounds out a meal in a really beautiful way. And yet, as I was sitting with this text this week, actually over the last couple of weeks as I've been sitting with it, one thing that continued to come to mind for me, though, was not how much salt can flavor things, but how much there are times when our circumstances invite us, in fact, I would say maybe necessitate that we be salty. Okay, so when you're talking about being salty, when somebody says, oh, you're being salty, that's generally like an eh, right? You're being salty. You're being sour, maybe you're being something. And yet, and yet, as I tease this out, there's a difference in sour and salt. Those are different flavors. And as I tease this out, and as we move through this time in the world when nothing makes sense, and we're asking questions about the ways that we've interacted with ourselves and with one another and with God, I keep coming back to this idea that there are times when it is necessary to be salty. It is necessary to say the uncomfortable thing. It is necessary to say the thing that you know is going to be painful in the moment, but which you also know is absolutely necessary to our own growth and wholeness. Now, this can get really uncomfortable for those of us who grew up socialized as white, middle, upper, middle, lower, middle class, and in the South, particularly, though it can maybe be from all over. I'm speaking for myself who grew up in Texas. But I can remember growing up that so often the message was that you just want to keep the peace. You just want to keep the peace. You don't want to upset things. You don't want to make people uncomfortable. You don't want to be salty. You don't want to be rude. Just keep the peace. And yet, as we're reading from Matthew today, and Jesus is saying, live into these things, remember that just before this are the Beatitudes. When he is saying, this is how to live. This is how to actually live in right relation with your neighbor and with yourself and with God. And remember that in that, he actually said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, it's important to note that a peacemaker and a peacekeeper are different things. They are different things. Often, in fact, a peacemaker, now remember, this is also Jesus, so he's stirring things up, right? He is calling for an end to the status quo when the status quo does not honor and fully support everyone. 
So he's calling for a challenge to that. He is not asking us to keep the peace. He is asking us to create peace. He is asking us to trust that the energy and the spirit which enlivens all of us does actually give us the capacity to create the kind of peace that he came and embodied here. And it's important that we distinguish that. Because so often when we keep the peace in a society that is killing us all, what we are doing is killing us all. Whoa, spirit. What we are doing is maintaining those, as Dr. Cannon, Dr. Katie Cannon, who was a mentor of mine through seminary and a beloved, beloved, beloved person, used to say it is maintaining a death-dealing status quo. And if there is anything that the life and ministry of Jesus was about, it was about defying death-dealing status quos. And, though, offering us a way to live into the love that can actually destroy those death-dealing status quos. Because that's what it comes back to when we're talking about being salt. And actually, I would say back to the experiment that more salt is needed. If you talk about going to the Dead Sea, you actually will float on the Dead Sea because there is so much salt. So there is a buoyancy. I do not want to taste water from the Dead Sea. And not just, it's called the Dead Sea because there is so much salt in it that it has killed all of the other fish in life. Like, so life cannot live there in the same way that it can elsewhere. And yet it also is buoyant enough to hold us all up. That's a metaphor I feel like I need to unpack in another point. But more salt is actually helpful. More salt can actually help lift us up. More salt, now we're hit, we may hit a point when we're like, no, that's too much. We're overly saturated, we're pruny. We don't need to worry about that just yet. That may be the reason that we say that we don't want to be salty because we don't want to overdo it. But we're so far back right now that I think we could actually add just a quarter, a, a pinch of salt, and we would all feel a lot more life. Now, what I mean by that is so often, especially in church spaces, right, we learn to keep the peace, right, which is good. We want to make sure everyone is heard. We want to make sure everyone is seen. We want to make sure everyone is valued. That's essential. And yet, often we do that at the expense of real honest engagement. We don't know how to have conflict with one another. We don't know how to have conflict. I can remember Dr. Brian Blunt once offering a sermon and talking about how we don't know how to, we don't, we so often within church, we, we function in such a participatory way that we're like people watching football on Super Bowl Sunday. No joke, he talked about football in that reference. Just eating our nachos and cheese, just kind of watching life happen, right? And so then what happens is that something little happens and it pivots that. And we're so jostled by it that we don't know what to do, so we fight each other. We get angry. We see conflict as the problem because we have this idea of homeostasis that we should be existing at. And so then what happens is these little things come up, and he was talking about church pew cushions get changed and people will absolutely lose it. So I want to lift that up about church pew cushions in particular because I want to note that here at Westminster there are no church pew cushions. So what that tells me is that that's actually not an argument that you need to have again. I'm assuming you had it at some point when you were talking about when to get rid of the church pews. I'm assuming that was a whole lot. 
And yet I want to lift up that what you did in those conversations, in that willingness to wrestle through something, and I say this again in noting that you have Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, a classic hymn being played on the organ with a praise band at the same time, in the same service. I want to lift up how unique that is. And also that what it shows me is evidence that you know how to be salty with each other. And that's not a bad thing. I would say that is actually the greatest invitation for you right now is to recognize that you know how to move through conflict together. And I want to lift up the key part of that is the together. Because you cannot be salty and bring peace in the way that Jesus is inviting us, I think, to be salty and to make peace without love. You cannot do it without love. And that may sound cheesy. That may sound trite. But really, from a practical perspective, does it not make total sense that the energy which undergirds all that is would be love? What else could hold us together while also expanding? What else could bring out the parts of ourselves that transcend all of the noise and the chaos and the pain of this life but love? What else can allow us to actually tap into this story of this wild man who lived 2,000 years ago, not quite as wild as his cousin John, but still the stuff that he's saying made no sense to the people at the time because it was actually taking the law this religious experience that they had and was saying, this is the meaning here, but we have lost this meaning because we've just gotten into a place of practicing it. We forget what it was given to us for. The law was given to people who had been oppressed and lost and were traveling through the wilderness as a way to help them survive, to live together in love and in right relation. That is the fulfillment Jesus is bringing. He is saying you've mixed it up because this thing that was supposed to be life-giving has instead become just about practice, memorization, and trying to do the right thing. That's not what it's about. It is about recognizing that love pulls us together and holds us together in ways that can enable us to live in right relation with one another. And that often our religious institutions and practices can be the thing that get in the way of that. So Jesus came to say, don't do religion for the sake of religion, but understand the God which undergirds why we started religion in the first place. We started these things so that we could make sense of the divine. Humans created religion. We created that through an experience with God. I do not want to indicate that God is not part of any of that. God is the undergirding source of all of it. And yet if our religion becomes the things we practice, we have lost God. If religion becomes the thing we worship, if religion becomes the thing we practice for the sake of only practicing, we have lost God. I want to be really clear about that. God is present everywhere. We have these, we have these practices that we have created in various places in our own understanding and of experience of the divine. God is everywhere in it. But if we get lost in only trying to keep the peace, in only trying to maintain the status quo, in only trying to make sure we do the right things, we are going to miss the reason for all of it because we're going to get caught up in our little spinning wheels. Does that make sense? And I want to undergird that the invitation that Jesus is offering here is to see that God is in and through all of it. And I want you all here in this community to know specifically that you have already been embodying this 
kind of practice for years. Even if you did not know it, I often haven't known it, we don't know it, that's the way God works. Hindsight is always 20-20. And yet I want to invite you to see the ways in which you can look back on your time together through these difficult things that you've been through. And if folks are newer here and you haven't been through those difficult things, you've been through difficult things. But I want you to look back and to really claim that, to claim that we can do hard things. Because what happens in that is that you start to see how much the love has been binding you together all the time, even when you're frustrated with each other. Jesus was frustrated all the time, and also in this deep love, loved fully, fully, fully. So as you go into this week, may you know that you're, and also the saltiness. I want to actually come back to this, because when we say be salty, it doesn't mean be cruel. It doesn't mean if you have a, if you have a, if you are somebody who has a tendency to be extra salty at times, this may actually be an invitation to recognize how to tone your salt back. Could be. The assurance, though, is that all of these things are said and done and claimed in a real groundedness of the love that holds us. And the only way to actually know and to feel and to experience the love that grounds us and holds us is to actually learn to be still enough with that so that you know when you are speaking salty, saltily, that you are doing so grounded in awareness of the being that is, of God that is within. Because otherwise you're going to come from your own human place, which is beautiful and messy and all of that. But stay grounded in the love that is. Know that you can do hard things. Know that you can do, and that you've already been doing them. I mean, y'all are awesome. But claim that. Claim that and know that it is all held in love. Amen.